Welcome to Midweek, a place where we dive deep into Scripture. So grab your Bible, a pen, and a notebook, and get ready to study God's Word. Okay, we're going to be talking on the second part of, uh, of Rahab tonight in Joshua chapter 2. It's True Conversion Part 2. And I'll be honest with you, I really wanted to call this... Um, I thought about it last week, and I didn't do it. As I, and I, I'll just tell you what I wanted to call the, the two teachings about Rahab in Joshua 2. I wanted to call it uh, the real pretty woman. That's what I wanted to call it, okay? Because just from the old movie Pretty Woman, she kind of fits the bill, and I think Hollywood stole the script from Joshua chapter 2. And so you'll see, especially as we go along near the end, why I wanted to call it that right there. So <clears throat> I have a lot of ground to cover tonight, and uh, so I, I want to get quickly into it. I'm going to continue the true conversion part, and in your notes, I've already done the two fill-ins, and if you don't know about notes, I always have them at the table back there. When you come in, you can get them, Uh, but I also have a lot of bullet points as I go along, Uh, but just for the sake of um, backing up, in your notes, you you don't have to fill in. Remember, the first two things we talked about in a true conversion of a person to, to Christ, of course, Rahab is to Yahweh, um, is real converts change their past conduct. That was the first point last week. And the second one is real converts embrace a new way of living. And how do we come to those conclusions? Well, Rahab, we see when the, when the, when the spies come to her home, um, we, we find out that uh, by her actions, she has given up on her life. She was, she was a prostitute. She's given up on that, and she doesn't turn the guys in. So you see a change in past conduct right there. So that's one of your first things you see in a true believer, a true follower, is they repent. There's a true repentance in a person's life. That doesn't mean they're perfect, but, you know, you repent of things that you once did. I mean, how many when you first got saved, it was almost automatic that you didn't want to do certain things anymore. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like you wanted to walk in this new light. There was this new spirit in you, and I'm going to walk this way now. But the second thing about real converts is they embrace a new way of living. And so we find that when we talk about she hid him in the flax up in the roof. Remember that one right there? And we parallel that to the to the uh, virtuous woman of Proverbs 31, where she works with flax. She's a virtuous woman. So I don't think there's anything in the Bible that's there by accident. I think God is telling us something that, you know, this woman has changed her life. There's a new way of living. So those are your first two points. And we'll get to more as we go along. But Joshua chapter 2, verse 8 is where we pick it all up. And it says, I'll read verse 8 through 11, and we're going to do a lot of dialogue in these three verses. Now, before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof. So they're hiding up on the roof. She's hit them there. Before they lay down, she comes up. She's going to talk to them. And said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings on the, of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og. Now Og is a big dude, Gog, king of Bashan, whom you utterly destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now, I'm going to pull some things out of these verses first, some bullet thoughts, and then I'm going to get to some of the the issues of the topic, true conversion. The first one in your notes, if you're taking notes, is that God will save his sheep from destruction. God will save his sheep from destruction. Maybe better put, God will save his sheep from judgment. Isn't it interesting that these spies question, have they ever been to Jericho before? 
And they never have. Say no. Say no, please. Okay. They've never been there before. They've never been to the city. They've never been inside of it. They don't know Rahab. They don't know where she lives. They don't know anything about her. And yet they go, they sneak into the city because they're going to spy it out because this is the first city they're going to take. And somehow the Spirit of God leads them to this house, the house of Rahab. She just happens to be, we find out, a person who is now converted and she believes in Yahweh God. And she takes him and she hides him there in the house. And so now you find these men going there and here's the whole idea there, I think, from what I just said about God will save his sheep from judgment. They're coming there because she's a believer. They're coming there, God is leading them there, I should say, because there's a believer in town, and God wants to save that believer, just like he chose to save Lot when Sodom was going to be destroyed. Amen to that one? God will always save his, his, his followers from uh, judgment and from destruction, just like the church will be uh, raptured before the judgment of God comes. Now, the second bullet point is grace never leaves a person in the condition it found them. Now, this woman, Rahab, we see now, ex-prostitute, turned her life to Yahweh. She's discovered the grace and the mercy of God. And now she has changed her life. She's repented and left that life behind. And now she's walking in a new life. Question, does that remind you of anyone in the New Testament at all? No. <laughs> the Samaritan woman. You think of it, right? Am I right on that one right there? The Samaritan woman. So the Samaritan woman, uh, remember that Jesus stops there in Samaria and uh, he's, you know, he's, he's resting. And he sends the disciples to get food and he knows that woman's going to come walking in at that time because she's coming for water to hide from everybody else because after all, she's, she's living with a man and we find out she has five, she's had five husbands and Jesus is there waiting for her. He's waiting for this woman to walk up in that moment. And uh, he gets her to confess, I've had five husbands. Or he tells you, you've had five husbands. The one you're with now is not your husband. But I want you to think about that. She has a questionable path, huh? Past. So does Rahab. The Samaritan woman, she's a broken, bruised woman, and she's been abused by men. Am I right? So has Rahab. And so here comes Jesus waiting there for a Samaritan woman and he enters into a dialogue with her because she's coming for water. And he says, everyone who drinks of this water shall thirst again, but the water that I shall give them will never thirst. And she thinks he's talking about physical water, but he's talking about real living water, the water of life. And in the interaction, he finally, she says, I know Messiah will come, and when he comes, he'll restore all things. And Jesus says, I will speak to you and he. In other words, I am the Messiah. And in that moment, she comes to faith in Jesus Christ. And then she goes back to tell all of her uh, all her friends in the city, and it's interesting, it says all the men. Why all the men? She's been married five times, guys. She knows the guys, right? So she goes to tell all the men. They all come, and they all believe, and they want to come and see Jesus Christ. But here's the question, because the whole point is, grace never leaves a person in the condition it found him. The woman came to the well in Samaria for what reason? Water. Do you remember when she leaves Jesus to go tell everyone about the Messiah that she's found him? Do you remember that little, little statement that is made as she leaves? She left the jar behind. She left the jar. She came to get the water. And Jesus said, this is not the water that's going to give you life. I have the water that's going to give you life. And so when she leaves, she leaves the jar behind. And she goes back because why? Because she found the real life. And it's a beautiful, small, little statement about how her life has changed. 
about she's found the thing that she's looking for and how the grace of God can change a life and never leaves a life the same way. Amen to that one? I mean, you see it in Rahab and you see it in, in the Samaritan woman. Now, the next bullet point in your notes is this. Not everyone will be saved. Not everyone will be saved. Now, I want you to look at back at verse 11. It says, when we heard it, our hearts melted, and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. Now, stop right there. Now, how many people heard about what she described before, the Red Sea drying up and all these things that happened? How many heard in their city? Pretty much everybody. And now, she says, and that every man's heart melted. So now we know that every man in the city knows about these Israelites coming, knows about the miracles, and, and they get shook up about it, right? Question, but how many will be saved? Just Rahab and her family members in her house, and no one else. And no one else will be saved. Why is that? If they're so shook up because they've heard about this Yahweh God and these people of God coming and the party and the rest, why aren't more saved? What, what's going on here? Let me give you a thought on that, okay? And I'm going to tie it into something we've talked about before. And that's this. Have you ever noticed that when you witness, have you ever witnessed to somebody and you really shake them up? Anybody? I mean, they get shook up. But then they don't want to receive Christ in that moment. And you talk more to them and pretty soon they're not shook up anymore. And the fear of God that they had in that moment or day or week, it begins to wear up. Have you ever noticed that? And pretty soon, they don't even care anymore. It's like, ah. Now, what I think happens here, what I think it happens with people is, once the fear of God hits you, we heard about the Red Sea party. Well, that was 40 years ago. And 40 years have gone by. And now we find that only one, this woman's the, the, the believer in the whole place. And so all this time elapses, and they don't see judgment. They, Israel's not here. Nothing's happening and so the time between when the first fear of God hits somebody when you share with them and it passes by and then all of a sudden it's like, well, nothing's going to happen. No judgment is here. So it kind of wears off. Have you ever seen stuff like that happen? I've seen it happen many, many times when I share with people because they think, well, there's no judgment coming. So therefore, I can get away with it, right? And one of the best modern day examples of this is when we talked about before about what's happening in San Francisco. We all know what's happening in San Francisco, right? If you don't know, I'm going to tell you. Okay, in San Francisco, because of the policies that have put into place in San Francisco, that city is just falling apart and just eroding. And it's eroding before your very eyes. There are businesses, lots of businesses that have shut down in that city. And more shut down. Massive mall shut down. There are major corporations that have left the city. That city is losing so much revenue. And why? Because they have policies in place. And you know what one of their policies is? One of the policies is that you can steal up to $950 from a business and they will not arrest you or prosecute you at all. So guess what? Can thieves add? You better believe they can. They walk in, and you, you can watch video of this anytime you want. People, they go walk right into stores, and they can add up, well, I got 949 bucks worth, I'm okay. And they walk right up, walk right out of the store with the merchandise. And that's what's happening with these policies, these pro progressive policies they put into place. Now, guys, 
No one's going to arrest them. And this is why you see some skirmishes, if you ever watch it, between the business owners. And they're trying to stop people from stealing because the police won't do it. And by the way, they defunded police in San Francisco. Another dumb policy because, we you know, they're all, everybody's against police. Not me. I already said a long time ago, if my city defunded police, bye-bye. I'll move to another. I'll, I live in Corona. I'll move to Norco. No, I'll just... <laughs> I'll be your neighbor, Andy. It's like good. But, but here's the thing. Why, why do they keep stealing? Because judgment's not coming, correct? Judgment's not coming. So th- why stop stealing? Now, let me show you what God says about that. Now, I, I think I showed it to you on a Sunday morning, but let's do it again real quick. Look, go to Ecclesiastes. You go, what's in Ecclesiastes? Trust me, it's a good one. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 8. And this is the problem. This is why their policies don't work. Now watch this. And by the way, San Francisco, they can barely get anyone to sign up to try to get through the academy to become a police officer because they get people now know they're not going to back me. They're not going to back me. So why should I be a police officer there? And they can't get enough. Where they used to get like 125 to 150 uh, new uh, recruits in and graduate, they get like maybe 8 to 10 now, every class. They can't get police. They can't police their own city because of what they've done to themselves through the progressive policies. Now, now watch verse 11 of chapter 8 of Ecclesiastes. Watch what Solomon the writer says. It's brilliant, and it's true. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed, how fast? Quickly. Therefore, the hearts of the sons of men among them are given fully to do what? Evil. What does that mean? If they do evil and you don't arrest them and prosecute them and move on this stuff, guess what they think in their mind? I can do it again. And I can do it again. And I can do it again. They've lost the fear of judgment because no one's going to prosecute. They know how to get around the system. They know that. Well, you take that mentality right here and you think about why, you know, why didn't many more people get saved in, in Jericho? Well, because they heard about judgment a long time ago, but nothing's happened. And so they think, well, nothing's going to happen. So why do I have to have any fear of Yahweh or anything else like that? Do you know that um, 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 uh, 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 Peter, in 2 Peter, I think it's chapter 3, he says this, it's a, it's a, it's a, he says, you know, and he's talking to people like this. You know, you keep saying to us Christians that, you know, oh, we've, you keep telling us that, you know, the return of the Lord's coming. Where's the return of his coming? In other words, we're not afraid of judgment at all. But you know what Peter says? You know what he tells us? It's brilliant. He says this. I'll Jim Del Campbell paraphrase it. He says, uh, what they forget is that God already judged the world by water. They forget that God already warned and warned and warned of judgment through the life of Noah and people just, ah, it's not going to happen. And then God judged. They forget it already happened. And he said, of course, the next time it's coming, it's coming by fire. And see, when people forget these things, then they're more likely to think, nothing's going to happen. I can just get away with it. I can do what I want. And that's what's happening here, I think, with Rahab and the city of Jericho. Well, you know, that's a lot. We heard about these Yahweh coming, but you know what? It's been 40 years. We haven't heard anything since. So they kind of, the fear of God kind of been lessened in their life. Now, the next bullet point, if you're taking notes, is this. Rahab stood alone. Now, I like this one because 
there's not a bunch of believers in, in Jericho. She's the only one so far until her family, but she's the only one. Now, I can so relate to this because um, I got saved when I was 23 years old. Now, you're going to think this is goofy, but up to that moment, for me, Thursday nights, because it was the disco era, and I know how to dance. <laughs> Don't make faces, babe. Don't make faces. You know, I'm a, I'm a really good dancer. Um, okay, I really like to dance. Let me put it that way. I'm a good dancer. They just, they're just jealous. There's haters in the crowd. But so for me, before I was a Christian, Thursday night was ladies' night at the discos. Okay, so we'd always go on Thursday nights to the discos. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a young guy. And sometimes I'd go on Saturdays, but if I didn't, I'd go party and do something. And then I get saved at 23. And all my friends are party disco animals. And now I don't want to do that stuff. And I don't have any friends that were the like-minded like myself. And I'm 20, did I say I was 23? And so you know what I started doing on Friday nights? I'd go over to my mom's house and hang out and watch Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> and I'm 23 years old. And I, because I don't, I can't go, I don't want to do these things anymore. I want to do the right things. And so there I am with my mom. We're watching Dukes of Hazard on Friday nights. And, but pretty soon then I just jumped into church and I started making new friends with the same likes that I had. And you develop whole new friendships and things like that. And that's truly what friendships are built on, right? You have the similar likes, correct? Correct? Okay, good. You got that one down. All right, good. Okay, now, here we go. Let's move forward. This is the number three, going back to the first two, but here's the third one on real converts. Real converts come to faith by hearing. By hearing. Look at verse 11. Yeah, verse 11. No, verse 10. Look at the beginning of verse 10. For we have heard... How the Lord dried up the water. Look at verse 11. When we heard it. So they heard about Yahweh. They heard about the miracles. They heard about Him. And we know that Paul writes in Romans 10 17, Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So it's, it, it, that's how faith begins. It comes by hearing. Now, <clears throat> how many of you had, um, before you are Christian, you had... I call them the hound of heaven, the hounds of heaven. You had some people just after you all the time to get you saved. Anybody have that? I, I just, I had that. And, and you guys know about my sister, but I don't want to talk about my sister because there's other things that would happen in my life. And you know, you know that wherever I go, there'd be Christians there. Why are they targeting me? They don't even know me. Why are they looking at me? And like I told you that time, I went to Whittier Boulevard and me and my friends, we, got up, we used to cruise there because you know, we were cool and I could dance. But... Um, <laughs> Quit making face of it. Um, and this young girl comes up to us, and she's real sweet. She started witnessing, and I go, oh, I can't get away from these crazy Christians. And I remember I left my friends there, and I walked all the way to the other end of the block, and I waited there, and then I see that girl walking toward me. I go, don't go, don't talk, don't talk to me. And she walks by, and, and you, know, you know this story. And in the sweetest voice, she says to me, and I'm like, I'm like 21, 22 years old, and I'm smart mouth, and I'm arrogant, and I'm stupid, you know, and it's like, and, uh, and she goes, you know you're going to hell, don't you? <laughs> I mean, sweet. And, you know, callous Jim, I look at her and I go, that's the brakes, huh? And I walked away. That's how callous I was. Can you imagine? That's the brakes? Golly. Well, anyway, so, 
So there's these hounds of heaven after me all the time. You know, because God wants me, you know. And I don't know that. And I remember, I, I, remember you guys, I was in the Easter play. I played Jesus. Remember I told you the other Okay. Hey, Melody. Uh, but the first year I was in the play, I wasn't even a Christian. And I didn't play Jesus. My sister asked me, hey, we need guys to move props. Okay, I'll do that. And I started doing that. Then I started acting out one scene. Then they needed me for, to play two parts. And, and I've all, you know, I'm a frustrated actor. So, so it fit, fit the bill. So there's this one guy named Harold. And I call, started calling him, in my mind, Weird Harold. Because all he could do was talk about Jesus. I mean, that's all he could do was talk about Jesus. And so one day he's talking to me, and he thinks I'm a Christian. And I'm not about to tell him I'm not. Because then he'll really... And so then when he goes... Then he asked me the question, how long have you been, how long have you been serving the Lord, bro? And I go, oh, should I lie? Should I lie? And I couldn't. I go, well, I'm not a Christian. You would have thought he's looking at a big slap of baby back ribs. He's going to just scratch. It's like his eyes lit up, man. And man, from that moment, if you thought he talked to me before, he wouldn't let up. He chased me everywhere. <laughs> One time I'm supposed to be moving the props and I'm in the dressing room area. He's got me on the floor. He's got a Bible open in my lap. Read this. He's got headphones on me on the same time, listening to a Christian preacher. And I'm sitting there going, and I don't even know what to do. And finally the head prop mover had to come and say, hey, get out of here. You need to get out of here. This guy would not leave me alone. But I had a lot of people like that chasing me down, chasing me down, chasing me down. God is not going to leave you alone. He's just going to go after you. So, that, that, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Now, here we go. Number four, real converts. They know, real converts know that they know that they know. So a repeat of that's it. They know that they know that they know. Look at verse 9. And it says right there, and this is her speaking, Rahab to the men, and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, etc., etc. She says, I know. How many of you in this room you feel this way? Ain't nobody in this planet, ain't nobody in this world ever going to talk me out of following Jesus. Nobody in this world is ever going to convince me there ain't no God, ain't no Jesus, nobody. I don't care what you think. And, you know, I don't mind debating. I really don't. And I don't always have the right answers, but I don't mind. In fact, I I do like debating. But, and I'm an evidence-based faith person. There's plenty of evidence for all these things. But in the last I, I think it's only been a week. I finally thought to myself, I study this stuff and study this stuff to be able to defend the faith on whether there was an, a, a worldwide flood and whether there was an exodus, and, you know, whether there was... A, I study... I do, this is like, for me, you know, you know, billions of years, wait a minute, I study uh, like on the, the dating of rocks to know the flaws and the dating. I study all that. I just like that stuff. But I finally thought last week, if I get into a debate with somebody over this stuff, I think I'm just done. I think I'm so done now. I think I'm just going to say, Here's the, here it is, guy, whether you believe it or not. If you don't repent, place your faith in Jesus, you're going to die and you're going to go to hell. And you can stand here right now and act as arrogant as you want, but that day when you stand before God the Father because you chose to reject Jesus, you better have brought an extra pair of pants. And, and that's just where I'm at right now. It's like, anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody feel that way? I'm like, why am I going to waste my time on all the side arguments? This is the issue. 
This and you, and I'm going to tell you, you can laugh all you want. It don't matter to me. I'm going to go and have a sandwich. You won't even bother me. But you better get your life right, man. Better get your life right. And that's the way I feel. You know why? Because I know that 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 there is a Jesus. He was God, the God-man. There is God, etc., etc., etc. Any amens on that one? Yeah, amen. Good, good. Now look at verse 12 and 13. It says, Now therefore, please swear to me by the Lord, since I have dealt kindly with you, that you also will deal kindly with my father's household and give me a pledge of truth. In other words, I did a good deed to you. Do do good deed bad, verse 13. Here's what she wants back. And spare my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters with all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. Now, here's what I would say about that verse. I think her brothers are lucky that she likes them. Because how many people don't like their siblings? Save my mom and my dad, but not that guy. So it's a good thing, you know, she likes her siblings right there, okay? So, uh, okay, so number five, real converts are concerned about the salvation of others. Real converts are concerned about the salvation of others. Now, she becomes a follower of Yahweh, and she's instantly concerned about family. And by the way, who are the very first ones you typically will go back and witness to? Your family. Family. That's typically um, who you're going to reach and try to save first. But once again, who does the woman remind you of? She's worried about the salvation of others. She's believing in the Samaritan woman. She believes Jesus is the Messiah. What does she do? I'm going to go tell everybody in town. I'm worried about everybody else there. And a true convert is concerned about the salvation of other people. It's like on your mind. You know when we say on Sunday mornings, because I see what I'm looking for? Remember that line? You're always looking for an opportunity. Always looking for an opportunity. Now, uh, you guys took a lot of my time ahead of before this. This is not in my notes, but let me just say this. Um, pray for opportunity. And pray for doors to open up, that you have the boldness to step through the door of opportunity. If you pray for opportunity and you believe in prayer, then guess what God's going to do? Give you opportunity. I pray for certain friends of mine from high school and junior high, I met them in sixth grade. I pray for them, their wife, and this one, his fiance. I pray for their salvation. And one of them is my friend from up north, and the other one is my best friend also from here in the south. And uh, my prayer has always been the same prayer I had for my dad, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. But I also pray, but give me, God, just give me an opportunity to share with them in those moments. Just give me a chance. And, um, and yesterday I get a call from one of them, their wife. And, and I, I didn't know my friend was tanking so quickly because he's got addiction. And, uh, and it got real bad, real bad. And now he's in, um, in a place to help them. And I thought, okay, God. Okay, God, this is it. This is the moment I've been praying for. This is, just give me this opportunity now because he has, he's at rock bottom. He's at rock bottom. And I want the opportunity to reach him, to tell him, to just snap his head right because before this, it was always like, I don't believe. He would tell me, I don't believe anybody could rise from the dead. And his mom, you know, died of cancer like 20 years, 18 years ago. And he said, how could God take my mom? So there's a lot of bitterness, a lot of anger. And now finally, maybe he'll be clear enough in the head that I can share with him. And 
I can show them this is the way, this, your lifestyle, this is not, it's taking, you need Jesus. And I, I just want to, I just want to take them down that road. But pray for opportunity. Pray for opportunity. And then pray for the boldness to step through that door of opportunity. And God will give you the door. And you say, I don't know what to say. Jesus said, do not worry about what you say in that moment. Because the Spirit of God will give you the words in the moment. Quit talking yourself out of it. If God opens a door, then that means something's already happening in that person. And you have, and we're talking earlier, I can't remember, I can't remember verses. I say, well, it's the Spirit of God that brings it back. And if you've read these things, guess what? Whatever's installed can be recalled, right? And so you got to remember those things. And God will, you'll walk away going, did that come out of my mouth? Yeah, by the Spirit of God's power. By the Spirit of God's power. So, real converts concerned about the salvation of others. Let me move fast now. Verse 14. He says, so then, uh, so the men said to her, our life for yours if you do not tell this business of ours. And it shall come about when the Lord gives us the land that we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window for her house was on the city wall. That's an important statement. Her house is on the city wall, okay? So that she was living on the wall. She said to them, go to the hill country so that the pursuers, remember she sent the pursuers away, will not happen upon you and hide yourselves there for three days until the pursuers return. Then afterward, you may go on your way. Now, three quick things, not any notes, just I want to make the statements and I want to hit it and move on. First off, do you notice in verse 14, the two guys say, when the Lord gives a city, not if, not maybe, I think he would, no, when he does it. In their mind, by faith, it's a done deal. God said it's a done deal, man. Hadn't happened yet, but it's a done deal. And then, you know, verse uh, 16, uh, 15, she lives on the wall. How convenient was that? That she's going to be able to drop these guys off by rope, through the window, down the wall, to get back home. Come on, is that not a God thing or what? And, you know, don't forget about that wall because it's going to play later on in Joshua. And then hide yourself for three days. If you're the two spies and and you've already accomplished your mission, you've scanned out the city, you know that everything to report back to Joshua and the gang, wouldn't you be wanting to get back like right now? But they obey and they wait the three days. And because they wait, their lives are saved because there's hunting parties looking for these guys. And sometimes, yeah, your mission accomplished, but you got to wait. You got to wait for God's time on certain things. Now, verse 17 says, Then uh, the men said to her, We shall be free from this oath to you, which you have made us swear. Unless, now they're giving her a condition. Okay, we'll, we'll follow these situations. But here's what you got to do, lady. Unless when we come into the land, in other words, when we start invading, you tie this cord of scarlet thread in the window. Here's this red rope. You tie it in your window, through which you let us down, and gather to yourself into the house your father and your mother and your brothers and all your father's household. It shall come about that anyone who goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be free. But anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head, if a hand is laid on him. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be free from the oath which you made us swear. She said, 
according to your words, so be it. So she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Number six in your notes. Real converts identify with the blood of Jesus. Now, if you want to be saved, lady, then you take this red rope of ours. You tie it in your window. The window of your house sits on the wall. We can see it from as we approach. We can see your window. We're going to look for a red rope tied on the wall. Now, and if that red rope is there and you guys are inside, guess what? You, you get to be saved. Question, what does that remind you of? You go back 40 years in, this, in the events. You go back to Egypt, right? Do you remember the night they left Egypt? That's right. What were they supposed to do, all the Israelites? Slaughter the lamb, take the blood, doorpost and lintel, because the angel of death was coming, Passover, and he would come, if he saw the blood, he would pass over that house. That's what the term Passover comes from. He passes over the house, and the firstborn male is saved. He doesn't die. Every house, they see that way. So there had to be red. There had to be red on the door. And so God would spare the people in that home. So it's an identification, a mark of identification. Your mark of identification in mine is we are under the blood of Jesus. Amen to that one right there. Just like back in Egypt, that was the identifying mark. And now for her, we've got an identifying mark for you. That you've got to have this rope outside your door. And if you do, then you're going to be saved. If not, then you're going down too. Now... <clears throat> Now, okay, let me go to verse 22 to 24. They departed and came to the hill country and remained there for three days until the pursuers returned. Now the pursuers had sought them all along the road, but had not found them. Then the two men returned and came down from the hill country and crossed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and they related to him all that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, Surely the Lord has given all the land into our hands. Moreover, all the inhabitants of the land have melted away, meaning to melt and dissolve, melted away before us. Joshua knows that place is ours. We're taking it. Here's where I want to take you to. Here's what I want you to leave you. Because here's what... Here's the goodness of God. When a person repents and turns to Jesus and you think, oh my gosh, I've messed up so much of my life. I've ruined my life. Just stop. Just stop. And watch what God can do. We're not coming back here. Turn to Ruth. We're in Joshua. Joshua judges Ruth. Not that Joshua is judging Ruth, but judges is the book. Joshua judges Ruth. Go a little bit to your right. Go to Ruth. I want to show you something. I want to I I leave you with this magnificent truth. Rahab turns her life around. She leaves her life of prostitution behind. She repents. She puts her faith in Yahweh because she heard, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God, and watch what happens to her life. In Ruth chapter 4, verse 18 to 22, gives you the, a snip, a genealogy of this life of Ruth and her family members, and etc. Now these are the generations of Perez. To Perez was born Hezron, 
And to Hezron was born Ram, and to Ram Abinadab, and to Abinadab was born Nashon, and to Nashon Salmon, and to Salmon was born Boaz, and to Boaz Obed, and to Obed was born Jesse, and to Jesse David. Okay, look in verse 20. There's a guy in there named Salmon. You see that? You see him in verse 21? And to Salmon was born Boaz. Boaz is a key figure in the book of Ruth. He will marry Ruth. Salmon, this man, guess who he marries? Rahab. Just a side thought. Don't you think all of Israel knows that Rahab is a prostitute, ex-prostitute? Can you imagine him bringing her home to mama? Here's my new girlfriend. I want to marry her. Son, that's, you know who she is? Yeah, but her life has changed. Salmon, now get this. She marries Salmon. Rahab marries him. And she's a Gentile. She marries Salmon. Salmon, you, there's little snippets about him. He is one of the builders of Jerusalem. So she gets a husband who runs a construction company, a real successful one. So she's got this guy. But wait a minute. It gets better. Because Salmon, as you look at the genealogy, look at the very bottom of verse 22. Who's the last name? Wait. So she marries Salmon, and they have kids who have kids. So Rahab, this ex-prostitute, is the great-great-grandmother of... King David. So she marries a guy with a great construction company. You know, she turns to Yahweh, repents, and then she thinks, my life is over. No, it's not. I got this guy, he's got a great, great job, construction company, and then they have kids. And then my great, great grandson is King David? Are you kidding me? That's the grace of God in action, isn't it? If you think that's good, I'm going to give you a better one, all right? Now watch this. Turn to Matthew chapter 1. Because this is what God can do. Matthew, and this is the genealogy in Matthew. Now, Matthew's genealogy is what's called the legal genealogy because it goes all the way down through Joseph, who obviously we know is not the real father of Jesus, but Joseph, remember the angel tells Joseph, you shall name him Jesus, and once he names Jesus, gives him his name Jesus, that is as good as gold right there. He takes and says, I'm his father, because that's the legal line now. It becomes legal, okay? Luke gives us the bloodline, but this is the legal line. Now, watching the legal line here, you can read all 16 verses later on, but I just want to show you uh, verse 5, verse 4. Ram was the father of Abinadab, Abinadab the father of Nashon. Have we read that before? Okay. And Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon was the father of Boaz by? Rahab. Now, get this. Rahab turns away from her old life, puts her faith in Yahweh, meets a really nice guy who has a really good business, and then she has kids who have kids, and then she's the great-great-grandmother of David, but not only all that is so good, now we find Rahab, ex-prostitute, her name is in the genealogy of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Is the grace of God good? 
Can God turn a life around? When he chooses to repent, you better believe it. You better believe it, man. That's how good our God is. And some of us have experienced so many good things as we turned our life around. And we watched the grace of God in our life. And so that's why I wanted to call her the original pretty woman. But that's another short for another time. Let's pray. Let's pray. Uh, thank you, Lord, for God, for Rahab and the event that really did happen, God, a long time ago, about 30, almost 3,500 years ago. But thank you, Lord, for your grace because you could turn a life around. And we see that in her life. And I pray we take at least that with us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media on Facebook and Instagram at NBCCNorco or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.